Chapter Four of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter Four. I am taught on a cold morning before breakfast how to stand fire, and thus prove my courage. After breakfast, I also prove my gallantry. My proof meets reproof. Women at the bottom of all mischief. By one I lose my liberty, and by another my money. When I began to wake the next morning, I could not think what it was that felt like a weight upon my chest, but as I roused and recalled my scattered thoughts, I remembered that in an hour or two it would be decided whether I were to exist another day. Before I was dressed, the midshipman who had volunteered to be my second came into my room, and informed me that the affair was to be decided in the garden behind the inn, and that my adversary was a very good shot. I dressed myself and followed my second into the garden, where I found all the midshipmen and some of the waiters of the inn. They all seemed very merry, as if the life of a fellow-creature was of no consequence. The seconds talked apart for a little while, and then measured the ground, which was twelve paces. We then took our stations. I believe that I turned pale, for my second came to my side and whispered that I must not be frightened. I replied that I was not frightened, but that I considered that it was an awful moment. The second to my adversary then came up and asked me whether I would make an apology, which I refused to do as before. They handed a pistol to each of us, and my second showed me how I was to pull the trigger. It was arranged that at the word given we were to fire at the same time. I made sure that I should be wounded if not killed, and I shut my eyes as I fired my pistol in the air. I felt my head swim and thought I was hurt, but fortunately I was not. The pistols were loaded again, and we fired a second time. The seconds then interfered, and it was proposed that we should shake hands, which I was very glad to do, for I considered my life to have been saved by a miracle. The next day my chest arrived by the wagon, and I threw off my bottle greens and put on my uniform. I had no cocked hat or dirk, as the warehouse people employed by Mr. Handicock did not supply those articles and it was arranged that I should procure them at Portsmouth. When I inquired the price, I found that they cost more money than I had in my pocket. So I tore up the letter I had written to my mother before the duel, and wrote another, asking for a remittance to purchase my dirk and cocked hat. I then walked out in my uniform, not a little proud, I must confess. I had arrived opposite a place called Sallyport, when a young lady, very nicely dressed, looked at me very hard and said, "'Well, Reefer, how are you off for soap?' I was astonished at the question, and more so at the interest which she seemed to take in my affairs. I answered, "'Thank you, I am very well off. I have four cakes of Windsor and two bars of yellow for washing.' She laughed at my reply, and asked me whether I would walk home and take a bit of dinner with her. I was astonished at this polite offer, and I said that I should be most happy. I thought I might venture to offer my arm, which she accepted, and we proceeded up High Street on our way to her home.' Just as we passed the admiral's house, I perceived my captain walking with two of the admiral's daughters. I was not a little proud to let him see that I had female acquaintances as well as he had, and as I passed him with the young lady under my protection, I took off my hat and made him a low bow. To my surprise, not only did he not return the salute, but he looked at me with a very stern countenance. I concluded that he was a very proud man, and did not wish the admiral's daughters to suppose that he knew midshipmen by sight but I had not exactly made up my mind on the subject, when the captain, having seen the ladies into the admiral's house, sent one of the messengers after me to desire that I would immediately come to him at the George Inn, which was nearly opposite. 
i apologized to the young lady and promised to return immediately if she would wait for me but she replied if that was my captain it was her idea that i should have a confounded wigging and be sent on board so wishing me good-bye she left me and continued her way home i could as little comprehend all this as why the captain looked so black when i passed him but it was soon explained when i went up to him in the parlour at the george inn i am sorry mr simple said the captain when i entered that a lad like you should show such early symptoms of depravity still more so that he should not have the grace which even the most hardened are not wholly destitute of i mean to practise immorality in secret and not degrade themselves and insult their captain by unblushingly avowing and i may say glorying in their iniquity by exposing it in broad daylight and in the most frequented street of town sir replied i with astonishment oh dear what have i done the captain fixed his keen eyes upon me so that they appeared to pierce me through and nail me to the wall do you pretend to say sir that you were not aware of the character of the person with whom you were walking just now no sir replied i except that she was very kind and good-natured and then i told him how she had addressed me and what subsequently took place and is it possible mr simple that you are so great a fool i replied that i certainly was considered the greatest fool of our family i should think you were replied he dryly he then explained to me who the person was with whom i was in company and how any association with her would inevitably lead to my ruin and disgrace i cried very much for i was shocked at the narrow escape which i had had and mortified at having fallen in his good opinion he asked me how i had employed my time since i had been at portsmouth and i made an acknowledgment of having been made tipsy related all that the midshipman had told me and how i had that morning fought a duel when i had finished he said mr simple i can no longer trust you on shore until you are more experienced in the world i shall desire my coxswain not to lose sight of you until you are safe on board of the frigate altogether i did not feel sorry when it was over i saw that the captain believed what i had stated and that he was disposed to be kind to me although he thought me very silly the coxswain in obedience to his orders accompanied me to the blue post i packed up my clothes paid my bill and the porter wheeled my chest down to the sally-port where the boat was waiting come heave ahead my lads be smart the captain says we are to take the young gentleman on board directly his liberty stopped for getting drunk and running after the dolly mops i should think you to be more respectful in your remarks mr coxswain said i with displeasure mr coxswain thank ye sir for giving me a handle to my name replied he come be smart with your oars my lads la bill freeman said a young woman on the beach what a nice young gentleman you have there he looks like a suckin nelson i say my pretty young officer could you lend me a shilling i was so pleased at the woman calling me young nelson that i immediately complied with her request i have not a shilling in my pocket said i but here is half a crown and you can change it and bring me back the eighteen pence well you are a nice young man replied she taking the half-crown i'll be back directly my dear the men in the boat laughed and the coxswain desired them to shove off no observed i you must wait for my eighteen pence we shall wait a devilish long while then i suspect i know that girl and she has a very bad memory she cannot be so dishonest or ungrateful replied i coxswain i order you to stay i am an officer i know you are sir about six hours old well then i must go up and tell the captain that you have another girl in tow and that you won't go on board oh no mr coxswain pray don't 
shove off as soon as you please and never mind the eighteen pence the boat then shoved off and pulled towards the ship which lay at spithead End of chapter four